welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined again by Nancy McLean. And this week we are discussing equine welfare during exercise, an evaluation of breathing, breathlessness and bridles. And this is a study that was carried out by D. Meller and N. Beausoleil. And every week that we introduce a new research topic, um, something that's important to point out is myself and Nancy have not read it when we choose it. So we tend to choose it based on an area of interest or something we'd like to learn more about. But last week when we introduced this, neither of us had actually read this research. And I have to say that certainly for me, it's had a profound impact on how I will go forward within the equine industry and the way that I would manage my own horse going forward. But even my views and my opinions towards horses. It's a really interesting study. And I think you had similar views on that, Nancy. I did. Being in the racing industry, um, I always could see that some horses preferred uh, easier a bit or less contact. And some would, um, you know, need a little more and sometimes even push through that and they might have been telling us that their mouth was sore but anyway uh, we used to call them numbed mouth and um, now I'm thinking back it wasn't so much that it was maybe they had a very sensitive mouth definitely so to give everyone that's listening a bit of a background and um, this study was carried out in May 2017 and it's done as a literature review. So the authors um, researched the current and existing literature on the equine cardiorespiratory physiology. So how equines breathe and how this affects their heart rate and how the heart rate affects the breathing. It's all linked together. But also they wanted to see how this affected athletic performance. And they wanted to also evaluate the potential that various types of breathlessness will occur in exercising horses. So they looked at this as an overview and then also investigated the influence of factors such as rain tension and bit use, which we'll talk about. But up until this point, breathlessness was considered a significant welfare concern in other animals but had not yet been um, evaluated as occurring in ridden horses due to bitted bridles and due to rain tension. So it was just an unknown how much of an impact it has at this stage. Um, and this study was just fascinating. So they looked at bit-induced pain and why we use bits. Like, what is the point in even having them on the bridle? And the whole idea of bits is to control the horse. And bits were first used, I believe, 2500 BC. Mm -hmm. um, that, that number may not be exactly accurate, but around then. So we've been using them for an amazing amount of time without a huge variation in them. We do have new bits coming out all the time, but they are more or less the same premise of what we're doing and what we're expecting to achieve. And the idea behind a bit is we control a horse, but how are we doing that? So the bit is controlling the horse through actual pain or through threatened pain. So the horse learns that pressure on the bit will be released if it does what the rider intends it to do. 
And another important point just before we get into this is that it's easy growing up and me and Nancy have both mentioned this when talking about it, that when you start horse riding, if something you experience is familiar and is there from the beginning, it's very hard to distinguish that. So one thing the author says is that familiarity breeds invisibility. And I think that's just so true. It's really hard to recognize that there is a problem if you start at the beginning. But horses' mouths are incredibly sensitive, and that's all parts of the mouth. So the gums, the teeth, tongues, lips, inner cheeks, roof of the mouth, all have hugely rich nerve endings. And I think what was really interesting in this study, and I did it to myself, and Nancy did it to herself as well, (laughs) is they explain how you can kind of perceive a fraction of the pain that a bit can cause in a horse's mouth. So if you put a pen between your teeth and you bite down, you're not going to perceive any pain. It's comfortable to do that. But in horses, the bit doesn't rest between two sets of teeth. It rests on the gum. So to be able to feel somewhat of what they would experience, you would roll down your lower lip, place the pen against your gum, and then press against it. And my gosh, is it sore. It doesn't take much pressure at all to make you want to back off. Definitely. And I think that even just doing that alone was like, okay, I understand now <laughs> what what that could potentially be like. But you, you've no idea then when you think about horses that are being ridden for hours or that are eventing and have varying levels of pain exerted. Yeah, I was, and their behavior will tell you that. It's just so often we're so accustomed to seeing that behavior that, like you said earlier, we just don't see it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it becomes normal. And I think I looked at a couple of the pain indices for what signifies a horse is in pain from the bit. Um, And these do, you know, they correlate to pain in general. But things like, you know, slightly or even more than slightly to fully opening their mouths and having these persistent jaw movements. And growing up, I was thought that these persistent jaw movements was the horse so-called working the bit Mm -hmm. and that you had a horse like effectively working if they were moving that bit and producing that foaming saliva around the edge, when in reality, that is actually a reaction to it being sore. Yeah, yeah. And I've even had some where... You know, a taller horse would rate when you go into bridle, they would raise their head so high and they just resist bridling. And they're trying to tell us that, you know, possibly this hurts and we don't Mm -hmm. want that in our mouth. And you just, you know, don't put two and two together. No. And, you know, looking back now at even just my pony, because I've had her for years and years, she used to constantly resist having the bridle put on. She really hated it and really resented it. And we always thought she had a sensitive mouth um, because she just napped all the time. She had these behaviors that were so outwardly that we saw them compared to other ponies in the riding school. So she really did put on a display of not enjoying it. And we even tried things like rubber bits and softer bits in her mouth, various different snaffles, 
um, different French links and nothing seemed to make a difference until she started being used for some therapeutic riding and they used a bitless bridle. Now, she's still a stubborn horse and she will tell you when she doesn't want to do something, but it did make a difference. And I don't think I appreciated at the time how much of an impact it really had until I read through this paper and I seen how much it affects horses to have a bit in their mouth. So just looking at their upper respiratory tract, and I think to really comprehend this, I will put a picture on the Instagram page of just what the anatomy looks like. But for the best airflow, they need to have the upper respiratory tract as open as possible. But that means their mouth needs to be closed. So to kind of get this seal between the soft palate and um, the epiglottis, a horse will swallow and then keep their mouth shut. And this creates a negative pressure in the mouth that basically seals it off from the breathing system because horses are what's called obligate nasal breathers. They have to breathe in through their nose. That's how their anatomy is designed. Yeah. I had one on the racetrack that ended up with an arytenoid um, that was paralyzed. And so what happened is probably he was galloped with a nose um, position less than 90 degrees where he constantly had that um, pharynx ballooned due to the negative pressure. And so over time, it just could never go back into a normal position. So mm-hmm. he ended up having the what's called an arytenoid tieback. And what they do is they actually take that arytenoid, which flies like a flap, in their trachea like a flag and it flaps and you can hear it when you gallop them they sound like they're roaring or they're having like an asthma episode and um, so we had the surgery done on him and um, you know I think back that probably that's why he always has had an aversion to a bit in his mouth is because he probably felt like he could not breathe and Perhaps there was a lot of rain tension because he tend he wanted the bolt. So that makes you prepare for the bolt. And it's just like a bad combination went for a horse and rider. So when I went to the bitless bridle, it all went away. He became very relaxed. He quit coughing. He quit throwing his head to the ground. I mean, he was just an aggravating horse to ride. And um, once I changed up and took the bit away, it all, he he completely changed. So it was amazing. And I didn't put it all together until I read this paper. So um, I assumed the surgery had left scar tissue around the surgical site. And that created his coughing fits, which made him throw his head to the ground in bolt. But it apparently was the fact that he was relating a bit to the fact that he can't breathe. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but whatever, there's a lot of variables within there to be able to say completely what was going on. But all I know is when I took the bit away, and put a bitless bridle, and I did use the Dr. Cook's bitless bridle, it all stopped, and he became a very nice trail horse. 
It's incredible because you mentioned rain tension as well, mm-hmm. which in this study, they were saying that basically they call it jowl angle. So that's the angle that the jaw is to the neck. And at rest, this will sit at about a 90 degree angle. But they saw that when a horse gallops under low rain tension, they extend out their neck. So they'll flex it. So it's at like 125 degrees and this increases airflow. So if you've got a a high rain tension galloping, they're not able to extend their neck. So they're not able to increase the airflow. And at a gallop, just the physiology of this is fascinating. At a gallop, a horse is taking in 40 times more oxygen than they are at a standstill. So they need to be able to extend their head to that degree to be able to do that oxygen conversion. And they looked as well at intention is going to decrease the jowl angle. And once you get, so if you think 90 degrees is at rest, that's suitable for them to breathe normally. When they're exerting higher effort, they need to extend it. But even if you just drop to 87 degrees, you start to get resistance to airflow. And then they found that, for example, in show jumping horses, they have a strong rain tension. So you're looking at about 75 degree angle and that's increased resistance again. But the one that really stood out was the dressage horses because they are known to be ridden with a very strong rain tension and they can be decreased down to 33 degrees. And that actually reduces the nasopharyngeal area so the area where they're breathing through at the back of the nose it decreases that area by 70 percent so it's no wonder that these horses are experiencing this breathlessness which we can't really put into words for them but the expression for what that is in us is that you know we're having a respiratory effort so we're trying harder to get air in we're air hungry, so we feel like we're starved of oxygen and we start to experience chest tightness as well. Yeah. So these horses that are competing are starting to feel this, but especially when it comes into dressage. Yeah, and I've even noticed it in racing. At, when I read this paper, I turned on uh, my racing channel and I just started watching um, horse races one after the other at one of the upper level tracks. And this one jockey, the commentator commented that he rode on a loose rein. And the commentator was a retired jockey. And he even said, I don't know if I would have had the guts to ride like he rides. Well, I looked up that jockey. His name is Joel Rosario. And he's the number two leading jockey in the United States, and he's already accumulated almost $7 million in purse money. He rides these horses on a loose rein, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he's always so close to being the top three of every race. And he's so relaxed. He's got quiet hands. And the most important thing without that high rain tension, his horses are able to seal their lips. So that Mm -hmm. even increases the amount of liters of air that they can get into their lungs. And while there's other variables, of course, um, I just think the the better jockeys probably are a little more light handed and they can allow those horses, which it's like 
2,000 liters a minute of air that a racehorse needs to get into their lungs. And if that seal is working at its optimum, they're going to be able to run a little faster than the competition. So I was so interested in this that um, turn on a race wherever you live and just watch for him and how he rides and how relaxed and there's always a loop in the reins and you have to you know be pretty confident that you're going to maintain control but i think there's something to him being a leading rider in this country definitely and like without going too far into the physiology of how our muscles work i think you know most of us know that we need oxygen for our, our muscles need oxygen to carry out um their daily functions but when we lower that jaw angle and we restrict that airflow it's as you said we're just impeding how much oxygen can come in and if you're doing that and you're limiting how much oxygen can actually come into the lungs to go into the blood to go to the muscles then what you're going to find is your horse is going to have a greater exercise intolerance at a much lower level of exertion so a greater rain tension means that they can't achieve what they could possibly achieve if you actually gave them some headspace. Yeah, and, and I know um, also the syndrome of head shaking has kind of been in equine circles probably the past 20 years. And they're looking more and more that that syndrome is tied in with the mouth, the eyes, the ears, that whole trigeminal nerve apparatus. And so much of the time, the horses that are exhibiting that have bit issues as well. And you just, you know, have to consider that. Now in racing, you can't run in a bitless bridle. And I'm not so certain we should because you have to maintain control for your safety and the horse's safety. But that soft hand and that um, not having that tight, tight, uh, rain and that rain pressure I think is so important interesting though interestingly enough um, I believe in Germany racing rules don't state that you need to use a bit to race yeah they don't um, they, yep. yeah they don't state that it's a requirement so there are some um, jockeys in Germany that actually race without a bit so it would be interesting to see how they get on because you see the pictures you know, one photo in particular of a jockey that was riding a horse in a bitless bridle and the horse's mouth is closed and it's at full exertion. Yep. And, um, you know, that would be an interesting study to see, even though breeding enters in and and training and and things like that, um, if you could prove that a horse performs better with a bitless bridle, that would be all people would need to see to begin using them. And then um, also on YouTube, you can go and see um, domesticated horses running without a bit and feral herds running without a bit. You know, they're they're free and you never find a horse running that doesn't have their mouth sealed so mm-hmm. or closed, you know. So that was interesting uh, part of the paper that they uh, mentioned to look those videos up. And, you know, I just never realized it before until I saw it. 
And as well, what's important to note is that the paper does point this out. There are many, many studies, um, treadmill studies for racing horses, but the studies, the majority of them, I won't speak for all of them because there could be some that do state, but many of the studies don't state whether a bit or a halter is used when when the horse is being tested on the treadmill. So knowing this now, this could actually have a knock-on effect for what we have perceived to even be the capacity of horses and what their lung capacity and their um, cardiac capacity is if all these studies were using bits because then the horse isn't actually running at its full capacity. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy because um, maybe some horses that um, have had poor performance maybe we didn't give them the opportunity to be everything they could be because we were too heavy handed or not cognizant of what the bit was doing. Yeah. And I think like growing up, you know, if you had a horse that kept excessively opening its mouth, you would just put on um, a lash, an extra lash. So it would keep its mouth closed or you would tighten the nose band, you know, is your horse shaking its head, throw on a martingale. You know, we're we're trying to put band-aids on bullet wounds and not even realizing. That's a good point, Kate. That's so true. I think as well, um, the way this paper is written, even if you aren't research or scientifically minded, there are large portions of it that are pitched quite high because it is, you know, the physiology and how this actually correlates. But it's written just in such an easy tone I think anyone could read this paper and pick up something from it and certainly the introduction and the discussion parts they really are accessible but Dee Meller who is one of the authors they also have done talks on this topic and if you go online to slideshare.net you can see some of the um, PowerPoint slides that they've used on this topic. And I thought one really interesting thing that they had pointed out on one of the slides was they looked at a study um, with dairy farmers and they were trying to evaluate lameness in the dairy cows. And the dairy farmers identified that probably between five to 10% of their cows were seriously lame. So this was before they'd been educated on what lameness looks like. And once they were educated, they realized the actual number of seriously lame cows was between 50 to 70 percent. And when they were asked about it, they stated that before being educated, they just thought that dairy cows walked that way. That is. Yep. And look at us with the horses Um, up. They always chew on the bit or work on the bit that's supposed to be so good but not necessarily what their natural behavior would dictate and um, there is um, Dr. Meller did mention um, at the end of his YouTube presentation which is um, the we have a bit of a problem and was that mouth pain in horses the title of that YouTube video. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was um, horses and bits. We have a bit of a problem. It's kind of a play on the word bit. And it's David J. Meller, M-E-L-L-O-R. You can access that on YouTube. And he ends that whole YouTube video 
with saying that inaction in the face of such invisibility is understandable. Inaction following such recognition is unacceptable. And recognition of such problems bring with it a responsibility to act. So if you think your horse is having a problem with the bit, it's up to you to make the changes. Definitely. And I think that that is just so important going forward that it's even on a basic level, what change are we going to make? How are we going to approach this? But also how can we encourage other people to do this? Because I have taught on two different degree equine programs and I didn't know that this was an issue. I w- it didn't wasn't even on my radar until I looked at this research. And now going forward, I'm going to definitely be recommending that all the students read up on this research and see that we don't just have to go with what, you know, is normal or what we perceive to be normal. And I think that's the great thing about this podcast as well, is that we can talk about these things in a way that, you know, how can we improve the equine industry? What can we do that's going to make a change? Yep. And how can how can we make a difference for the horses that they'll be more usable, they'll be safer. And, um, you know, I mean, I read where the interdental bone spurs are in like 88% of working horses when they're checked. And that just means a lot of calcification has, has built up with improper bit use. And, you know, if I had to do it over, I would learn more about bits and their function and how to use them properly. Um, You know, 20, 30 years ago, we just used whatever bit was on the bridle that someone Mm -hmm. did you and not didn't even think about it. So if we can just get people thinking about it and make changes and work with your horse, and if you have to go with a bitless um, you know, set up for a while as long as you're safe and you keep the horse safe. Um, I think it, you know, it's just bringing the recognition of the problem. And I think that's an important caveat to add to this. Um, we don't suggest you go and just throw your bit in the bin and jump up on yeah. your horse in a bitless bridle because yeah. that is dangerous. You need to yeah. train them um, and you need to acclimatize and accustom them to being ridden in a bitless bridle. But I think there definitely is going to be, you know, a change coming forward because I had a brief Google um, just for general articles, not for scientific ones. And there's a couple of ones that came up in the horse and hound and even one from last year where there was um, a rider that is hoping to compete without any tack. So they use a neck strap on the horse, but that's it. And they're actually show jumping. They're training for show jumping with just an neck strap, which is really impressive. That Now, that is when you have to train your horse and know what you're doing, you know, to mm-hmm. get those, those results and to maintain your safety as well. So, but um, it, it's amazing. There, there's a lot of things that we have done through the years because of tradition and through research and and Dr. Meller's work, I mean, we can kind of say and question things, you know, is this really the correct way or the best way to do this? And if we can make one person just 
change it for one horse or make an improvement, this podcast is all worth it. It's certainly changed the way I'm going to go forward. Well, and that, I guess, will wrap up this week's uh, broadcast. And um, next week, we're going to be talking about exercise, insulin resistance, laminitis, and a research paper Well, where um, they had like 181 horses that were overweight and what implementing an exercise program did as far as their fasting glucose numbers. So it'll be an interesting talk next week as well. Lovely. So I look forward to talking to you then, Nancy. Okay, you too. And thanks everyone for listening. Bye-bye. Take care.